Hello, my name is Anna and we have now come to a time of Bible reading. Um, so today's passage comes from Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 to 18. Um, as Christians, we read the Bible because we truly believe that it is God's word and we believe that God speaks to us through these words um, on the pages of the Bible. Um, so we'll read from Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 to 18. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guards and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. <clears throat> The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Thanks for that, Anna. Let's pray. Let's get into it now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you that you speak to us through your word, that we can receive it freely. And Lord, we do pray that your spirit will be at work in our hearts to inspire us, to encourage us, to empower us, to live lives that do please you. Lord, today, as we get into it, um, challenge us, uh, help us to really understand what it looks like to live as a Christian, even uh, through struggling, through suffering uh, that we have to face uh, as we go through life. So we do pray for that uh, today, and may you get glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's a documentary that was recently released on Netflix called The American Gospel. It's a must-watch. I've been recommending it to everyone. Uh, it's a documentary that really speaks out against the false teachings that are coming out of the church, and it shares really clearly what the gospel is. Uh, one of the topics that it aims to cover is how does the Christian view suffering in this life? It's a really important topic. Uh, it highlights stories in this documentary, it highlights stories of men and women in the church who have had to discover what the message of Christianity truly is, who God truly is, even amidst the sufferings that they've faced in life. And so you'll hear stories like uh, Justin Peters, who has suffered from cerebral palsy all his life. Uh, a woman named Catherine Berger, who was super fit and loved exercise, and then discovered she has a rare genetic disorder and her body has literally been breaking down over the last 10 years. She's constantly hooked up to tubes and machines. Uh, I looked her up recently and the most recent update on her is she has intestinal failure now. So she's got a tube going to her heart to get nutrition. She's got to get an intestinal transplant. Uh, she's suffering, she's struggling. Uh, there's another story in the documentary of Nabil Qureshi who has written books. He's a, a Christian apologist, right? So he goes around speaking and, and defending Christianity, but he was diagnosed with stomach cancer and he eventually died. Uh, in 2017 at the age of 34 and all these stories are there to speak through and share about what it's like to suffer even as Christians and, and the documentary is really interesting it really outlines what the Bible says it outlines what uh, certain teachers in churches are teaching and what they're saying about God and what the Bible is saying about God and it makes you really question but the underlying question I think that comes out of this documentary is is God still good even when we suffer? Even when we're going through something we feel like we don't deserve, even when things are so hard that it doesn't make sense. I think it's all too convenient for, for many of us to say, yeah, God is good 
when things are going well in life. God is good when we've got friends. God is good when we're on holidays. God is good when we're at that cafe and have got a latte in front of us. God is good when we have good food and relationships, sure. God is good when my bank account is healthy and I have a nice car and a comfortable job and whatever. Are we really able, though, to say God is good all the time? As you watch this documentary, man, it is really confronting. Because deep down, we all have to ask ourselves the obvious question. When suffering comes our way, when we face hardship and struggle, what will you be anchored in? How can you and I suffer well, even when it feels unjust? Even when you might feel like it doesn't make sense? Today we see Paul react to suffering in a way that's totally unexpected. Uh, Paul is the author of the letter to the Philippian church. He's an apostle of Jesus, so he's met Jesus, and he's, uh, and he's writing to the Philippian church now to express his love for them and to encourage them. He has a partnership with them, a fellowship. And it's, this letter is all about seeing them as a church live upon the gospel, have the gospel as their foundation. As we read this, you'll see how Paul, even though he... Uh, is struggling, he wants to see the gospel advance. And that's what he's living for. He's living for that greater story, that greater purpose, even amidst the circumstances. And so we, what we read today, let me uh, read it again, but it's helpful for us to understand what, what Paul's uh, purpose is and where he sees his, uh, his goal to be. Uh, so last week again, verse 7, we heard Paul, he's in chains for the gospel, verse 7. He's in prison for being a Christian, being a man on a, on a mission. Um, he's writing this and he's uh, encouraging the church to consider uh, what it's like to, what, what to do to, uh, to live out the gospel, how to live out the gospel. Verse 12 to 13, he says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. People, in, people know why he's there. People know why he's in prison. The whole palace guard, he says. Right? So what's happened is he's suffering in prison and his suffering isn't purposeless. That's the first point we really need to understand. Even in prison, even in his chains, the gospel has been proclaimed. They've heard about why he's there. The guard knows that he's under arrest for being a Christian. He's there for Christ. Now, although Paul's in chains, what, what's happening is the gospel, the message of Jesus is still going forward. The good news of Jesus is still going forward. The gospel, while he's in chains, the gospel is unchanged. It's being proclaimed, right? Paul doesn't let his chains stop him. He doesn't consider his chains a failure to his mission work. There is no loss. He uses those chains and he's using that opportunity to be an instrument still of the gospel. To be there in prison with these guards to suffer well, to show that Jesus, the gospel, is all his, is sufficient for him. The truth is, Paul has done this before. If you go back to the book of Acts in chapter 16, you can read about it. When he's in the city of Philippi, when he's there in uh, you know, the church of Philippi, the Philippians, when he's there in Philippi for the first time, he was in jail. And in jail, he sang songs and he shared the gospel with the jailer there. The guard, the jailer, was converted. He became part of the Philippian church. Now, Paul, you know, he's not a stranger to change. He's not a stranger to prison. He keeps, he's, I don't know why, he keeps ending up arrested and in prison, but that's what's happening here. And while he's arrested in chains, what's happening is the gospel, well, the gospel's unchained, right? It's unbound. It's con it continues to be proclaimed. The very first thing in reporting on himself, he's writing this letter to the Philippian church. The first thing he reports to them is what he cares about most. The gospel's going forward. 
Don't worry about me, right? And you would be worried if you were supporting a friend who was you know, overseas and, and doing mission work or something for the gospel in jail. You'd be concerned. But he's like, don't worry about me. Be joyful that the gospel is still going forward. He doesn't want them to dwell you know, on that. And, and sure, you know, he might be uncomfortable. I'd be uncomfortable. You'd, you'd have an uncomfortable bed to sleep in in prison. You'd, you'd hate the smell of the place, the food you're eating, all that stuff. You, know, you might be only able to use a toilet once a day. There's no electricity or internet. There's no YouTube. There's no Netflix. You can't scroll through Instagram all day. But that's not what he's focused on, is it? I mean, you know, he's saying rejo- he's rejoicing, though, even though he doesn't have all those things. And, and it's, it's a thing that blows my mind. Like, if we were in a five-star hotel, margaritas all around, massages all day, high-speed internet, cable TV, of course, amen, in that I rejoice, for sure. But no, he's not saying that, is he? He's in prison, yet he still rejoices. He cares about one thing only, and that's the gospel. He wants them to know that even in his circumstances, even though they might seem dire at the moment, even though he might not be in the, in the best shape, in the best circumstances, he wants them to know it's a good thing. It's actually worth rejoicing over. He wants them to know it has served to advance the gospel. Do you see what matters to him most? Do you see how being in chains for Christ here is important? Suffering's going to happen. But sometimes God brings good through it. This isn't the first time we've seen that in the Bible, though, is it? It's happened many times in the Bible. You can go all the way back to Genesis. You know the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis? It's about how he was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery down to Egypt. He was doing okay in Egypt for a little bit, and then he got framed and ended up in jail. And then in jail, he had visions, and he ended up helping the king instead. And the king trusted him, and the king ended up making him the two IC, the second in charge, a royal advisor to the king. And then he ended up saving Egypt from, from famine and basically saved the nation through God. God helped him to do that. And all this bad stuff happened to him, though. You know, he was betrayed by his, by his brothers. He ended up in jail, all this unfortunate stuff. But at the end of the story, when his brothers come before him, the same brothers who treated him terribly, uh, this is what Joseph says to them. In Genesis 50, verse 19, he says, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, even more so, don't we see that tragedy before the very Son of God himself? Didn't Jesus, who was innocent and blameless, didn't he face the greatest injustice of all? Put on a cross to die. But God used it for what? For good. In fact, he used it for the salvation for all of humankind, to save many lives. Paul in prison suffering, him on death row, Paul wants the church to know he follows in the footsteps of Christ. Christ's suffering, it was horrendous. It was humiliating. It was painful. But God brought great good out of his suffering, didn't he? And so Paul's chains, they're for Christ. He wants the Philippian church, the Philippians, us, the church, to know and acknowledge with him that suffering isn't for nothing. It's for the gospel. It's for Jesus to be known. And when that goes forward, when that advances, he rejoices. And what we also see here in this passage is that suffering uh, isn't purpose, is not only purposeless, it also empowers others. Verse 14, and because of my chains, because, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. 
See, as a result, what has happened through his own suffering has led others to be confident in the same Lord Jesus as Paul. They're boldly going out there and proclaiming the gospel even more. They have courage. They've, given, they've been given hope. They're out there wanting to preach and proclaim the gospel with boldness, fearlessness, following the footsteps of their hero, this hero of theirs that's in jail. That's, that's Paul for them. And isn't that what we do? We rally around the ones who have stepped forward in bravery and we think, wow, if, if they can do it, I can do it too. But it, it takes someone to do that, no, to step out and to start that movement perhaps. You, fearless Christian, step out in boldness. Be willing to know what you're doing isn't in vain and that the struggle you go through isn't wasted. It empowers others. See, as Paul's in prison, he's evangelizing to the prison guard. But in turn, there's a greater evangelism happening outside. People proclaiming Jesus, the wider church empowered by Paul's sufferings, empowered by Jesus all the more. See, see what's happening. The gospel's going forward. He's not actively out there doing stuff. And we might feel the pressure sometimes to keep doing stuff. But even in our suffering, when we feel limited, the gospel's still going forward. And we can encourage people even in our suffering just by living lives of integrity, living lives that make Jesus the center of what we're doing. Uh, this is n normal in life, isn't it? We see this happen around the world all the time, even outside of the church. I I've begun reading the autobiography of Nelson Mandela. It's, it's, the, it's called The Long Road to Freedom. It's a really long book as well. I've barely made a scratch in it, uh, but I picked it up because he's a hero for so many. He's a trailblazer. He stepped out. And yeah, he was questioned. He went against uh, the status quo because of his convictions. But he began a movement. And it's amazing to hear how he started that revolution. He brought freedom. Uh, he encouraged people. He empowered people to rally around him and, and, and to, to end you know, the, the, the racism, the apartheid that was in South, uh, South Africa. And, and we love that, don't we? We love reading those stories of the Mandelas, the, the Luther Kings in this world. They inspire us because they stand up in the face of oppression against all odds for their convictions. But what if it was for a purpose that furthered the good of all of humankind to bring a, a spiritual freedom to our world, to bring a, 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 a security to others, to bring hope? Would you see that your sufferings, your hardships that you face could lead to bring courage to others, courage for others to go out and bring that freedom? that it could empower them. Uh, another story uh, of a man in history, Jim Elliot, a missionary, trained for years to be a missionary. He went through theology school. I think he, was, uh, he finished law school first and then went to train in theology. He equipped himself with the Bible to go out uh, to reach unreached people, people uh, in, in the jungle, essentially, who have never met Christians before, right? It was the Orca tribe, I, I think it's called, down in South America. And so he prepared to do that. He, he got ready. He spent a year in theology school getting ready to, to bring the gospel to others. Uh, he was going there. Uh, it was Ecuador, sorry. And the gospel, uh, bring the gospel to them. A godly man, a man who had just gotten married. He wanted to serve God. Uh, he had a comfortable life in America by American standards, but he was convicted, convicted to bring the gospel to the unreached. And so he flew down to America and he met a few members of the Orca tribe on the shores of Ecuador. Uh, and he was with a group of people. And, you know, they came in peace. They just wanted to meet them and, and see where they lived and get to know them. And as the, this tribe of people were leading him into the forest, they speared him to death. He didn't even make it past the shore. He spent years preparing for this mission trip of his, 
and they only made it a few feet. But what happened was his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, full of hurt and pain, went back to the same tribe, befriended a woman there, was welcomed into the village, and Elizabeth Elliot was given the opportunity to bring the gospel to the unreached. She had, she had to forgive the very people who murdered her husband, but she had to forgive and go through suffering so the gospel could go forward. She had to battle the pain and heartache of losing her husband. And although her heart may have been in chains, she had to suffer through it so the gospel can be unchained, could be unchained and be brought to these people. What an encouragement. It has empowered so many people, people I've met in my life, who have read that book. It's called The Gates of Splendor, the biography of, of their autobiography, I think. And it's written to empower and encourage others. Empowered to live for something, someone greater. I know so many people have gone out on the mission field because of this book. I mean, that's what it's like for Paul here. He's writing a letter to the Philippian church, and yeah, he's, he's in jail. But hey, the gospel's going forward still. People know that he's there in chains for Christ, and it's empowering others. He has a faith that's so unshakable, regardless of his circumstances. You know, I think that's what Paul is displaying here for us. His perseverance to strive for godliness, to be a witness to those around him in his imprisonment. You know, a modeling example to those who are suffering. He didn't do it to benefit himself. He's not there in jail being a motivational speaker, (laughs) telling you you can enjoy your best life now, you can get rich as well. God wants all that for you. He's saying, look at me in chains. Have faith. God is still good. Paul's example is to suffer well so that the gospel can go forward. Wow, Paul, he's the trailblazer for us, isn't he? He runs into battle first. He shows everyone he's just an ordinary man, but he lives for a greater kingdom, a greater greater story, greater narrative. And he's willing to suffer for the gospel because... Later on, he, in Philippians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, he says, to live is Christ. That's what it's for. That's why he's, you know, whether he's in chains or not, to live is Christ. That's what Paul's on about. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't run into suffering, go chasing after as if that's going to make you more godly as a Christian. Don't be some sort of religious fanatic. That's not what I'm trying to say here. Don't you know, disturb the peace and end up in jail and think that you're, you're being godly for doing that. Don't be that guy. What I'm, what I'm saying is suffer for the gospel, yes, but it doesn't have to be extreme. It, it could be, I mean, it could be extreme, but it could be just trusting God even in your sickness. Trusting God when you've been made bankrupt. You're in financial ruin. It could be trusting God when you feel abandoned or lonely. Trusting God in your integrity. Perhaps in your workplace, amongst your peers, being a person who lives by your Christian convictions and values, even though you might get humiliated, even though you might get excluded. You see, if there were hashtags invented back then, it's not just hashtag God is good in the good times. It's hashtag God is still good, even in the bad times. Or you can be basic and say God is good all the time. (laughs) No one's expecting you to to be smiling all the time or pretending to be something you're not. We're not here to fake it. We can be authentic in our suffering. We can be real about it. We can also be real that we have an unmovable, unshakable joy that's deep in our hearts because of the gospel. That people can see us and, and see that Jesus is enough. He's sufficient for you and I to keep battling through the the, the waves of, uh, of, of suffering that we face each and every day. 
it's in those moments when, when, when we're struggling that others are empowered. We make Jesus look good even in our illness, even in our depression, even in our rejection. When life is hard, people will see that Jesus is our bedrock. He's our refuge, our strong fortress. People will see your courage and in turn will be encouraged. Empowered to say, God is always good. Hashtag that through all circumstances. I mean, that's exactly the third point I want to make. It's a suffering that magnifies and makes much of Jesus. Verse 15. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul rejoices. Even though there are haters out there that don't like him, that are treating him badly, trying to put him down, his concern isn't in what people think about him, but the gospel advancing. He wants his sufferings to be purposeful. He doesn't care if it's not about him. It's so easy to make it all about us, isn't it? But his only care is that Jesus is made much in all of this. He wants his sufferings to magnify the gospel. The church knows why, why he's in chains. The imperial guard knows why he's in chains. The message of Jesus who suffered is far greater. The message of Jesus who died at the hands of the Romans whose sacrifice takes away the sin of the world and brings salvation to all of us, that message is advancing. That's what matters. In that, he rejoices. And you look at Paul and you go, wow, this guy, man, he's got his priorities straight. He's, he's anchored in his convictions. He has so much security in himself. And no, actually, not in himself, in the gospel. I mean, I wish I could be like that. I'm so swayed by temptation, the allure of sin, to make it all about me. In my struggles, in my sufferings, I want to, oh man, how, how does Paul do this? Rejoice, even though you're under arrest? How does he rejoice, even though there are haters out there trying to put him down and inflict pain upon him? I'd be whinging till the cows come home. I mean, isn't that our entitled nature, generally, isn't it? That we complain and make it all about me. And if we're not complaining, we're, we're passive-aggressive about it. You see, what I think we can learn from this is that our suffering really reveals to us where we find our security. Our suffering reveals where our hearts find joy and hope. Paul's suffering reveals that his security is in the gospel. You see, Paul doesn't see his circumstances as moments to run away from Jesus and, and look for a temporary fix or satisfaction elsewhere. He embraces every opportunity and the circumstances he's in to love Jesus and make Jesus known to magnify him. So in our suffering, we try so desperately, don't we, to hold on to the things in our life that will bring us, us immediate joy, immediate gratification. The relationships, our possessions, the things that we turn to. And what are we doing in those moments? We're magnifying them, aren't we? We're making much of them. We want them to be great in our lives because we think they'll satisfy us. They'll fix us. What does Paul magnify? He magnifies Jesus. It's in these circumstances of being in chains. Haters out there who don't like you, he says, I can still rejoice. 
God is still good. Because Paul, he cares about the advancement of the gospel more than anything else. He cares about the gospel going out there. More people hearing about the good news of Jesus. That matters more than his circumstances. How much more powerful is it when we can hashtag God is good when things are hard? Yeah, it is easy to do it. Sure, when you're on holiday, you just bought new shoes, a new toy, God is good. When you have friends and family around, God is good, yes. And God is good during all those times. But to say it continually, even if our circumstances are painful, the same God who leads us through the green pastures is the same God who leads us through the valleys, friends. Hashtag God is always good. You see, that, that, that leads to Jesus being magnified, to God being glorified. It leads to the gospel going forward. Now, I know some of you here are thinking, possibly getting annoyed right now, angry, thinking that, Mikey, you have no idea how I feel. You have no idea what I've been through. You have no idea the struggles I've had to face. All the visits to the hospital, all the depression I've had to go through in my head over and over again, the feelings of feeling like a failure, the times I feel like a disappointment to those around me, to myself, to God, the times where anxiety spirals out of control. You don't understand when darkness overwhelms you, when loneliness envelops you. I, you might be thinking that right now. It is hard. I totally, I totally can't imagine what you might be going through. I get that. How can I hashtag God is good when I feel like God isn't even there? I understand some of us have suffered in ways uh, that are very personal to us. And that I might not be in a position to talk to you about it. But the man who writes this letter for us to the Philippian church, Paul, he identifies with suffering. He's a man who's experienced tremendous suffering. If I can read a Bible passage to you in 2 Corinthians, I'll try and get it on the screen for you. It's chapter 11, verse 24. It says this, Five times, this is Paul writing, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul, he knows what suffering looks like. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, he says this, It's for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul can speak on suffering. And with his suffering, he is still rejoicing. He's content. This man does, doesn't suffer for his own self-righteousness. He doesn't suffer to, to guilt trip us, to show us how good he is. He doesn't do it out of an arrogance or boasting. He's willing to go through these trials because Jesus went through these trials. 
He's willing to go through these tribulations because Jesus went through those tribulations before him. He suffers because Jesus suffered for him, for you and I. See, Paul, Paul's a man who treasures Jesus, where he makes much of Jesus, where he wants to bring in glory and honor to Jesus. If you treasure something so much, wouldn't you die for it? Wouldn't you be willing to suffer for it because it matters that much to you? If Jesus is a treasure of our hearts, wouldn't we willing, willingly be, be okay to suffer knowing that he gets glory still? Not go chasing after it, but when it comes our ways, to suffer well so God can be magnified, Jesus can be glorified, and the gospel can advance. This is how Paul can anchor his joy. Anchor your joy in Jesus. And so the implication is, is quite simple for us, isn't it? Our joy, we need to anchor our joy and security in Him, in Jesus. You see, it's, it's so easy for our joy to be anchored in our circumstances. God is good when things are good. When we have good food in front of us, when life is good, when, when, we, when we have what our heart desires. Life is great. God is good then, right? And so we, we look at our circumstances and only when we look at our circumstances and see that they're good, then God is good. You see, at those mo- in those moments, our hope and our security, it's not in God, it's in life being comfortable. But you see, Paul, he anchors his joy and his contentment when things are hard as well. And as, he, as we keep reading through this, this letter in Philipp- of Philippians, like we're going to find out that Paul has his joy anchored in nothing but the gospel. He's saturated by it, and he's filled with joy because of it. I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, and you're struggling, and you're, 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 you're suffering, find out about who he is. And if you're a Christian, and you know who Jesus is, and you can't relate to this, spend time with God. Talk to your Christian friends about this. I really want us to understand the goodness of who God is so that even in our struggles, even in our sufferings, we have an anchor. That anchor is in Him. James talks about it in his letter, in James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4 in our Bibles. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that's the testing of your faith. And that faith, the testing of your faith, produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He was so certain, James was so certain that the introduction of difficulty, if, when that's in your life, it carries the potential to bring blessing. We shouldn't, we shouldn't run away from suffering. I mean, it's hard and we don't want it, of course. But at the same time, let's see what God is doing through it. And let's ask God to work through it in our hearts. Let's, let's, let's rejoice in it, that through it, we can trust God even more and we can rely and depend on Him. I'm not going to pretend that difficulties are pleasant. They're not. I'm not trying to downplay your hurt and pain in life. I hate it when I go through hardships. I hate struggles and, and suffering. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't still pray and to be delivered from it, to see or you know, to ask God to remove it. You know, hardships come in our life and we can pray to God. 
He can remove it. He might remove it. But even if he doesn't, he's still good. And that's the hope we can have. A God who has shown us the goodness of who he is in the gospel. We can look back at the cross and see that Jesus loves us and has done good by us because our sin has been removed. We can have a relationship with the, with the good and great God. The God of the universe. We can still see that God is sovereign and in control. And even though there are unpleasant things that happen in our lives, there are a thousand good consequences at times. Just like we heard in the story of Joseph, just like we see in the gospel, just like we're seeing now in Paul's story as well. You see, what God is doing often, he's the caretaker, he's the lover of our soul, he's the gardener, and often he prunes us. And pruning might look like difficult circumstances, but like any gardener, he prunes us so that we can flourish. There's a freedom to be had, friends, when we surrender it all at his feet. And so when hardships come, we can stop shaking our fist and yelling at God and instead lean into him with our tears, with all our suffering, we can come to him and we can listen because he's good, he does care, and he works all things together for the good of his children. Friends, your suffering isn't purposeless. Our tears, our pain, our sickness, our poverty, it's not wasted. When God is made, when God is made to look good through it. But it won't make any sense until you understand that the joy and the goodness of who Jesus is at the gospel. That his death and his suffering wasn't purposeless too. That it was purposeful. That he didn't run away from it. But he died for us. He died so that we could have access to God, so that we could know what true life looks like. A life where there won't be one day, there won't be suffering and pain. And Paul's joy is that he's anchored in that, the good news of Jesus, the salvation that we have, the relationship that we have with God ultimately. So let me encourage you, friends, to suffer and persevere for the greater treasure of the gospel. Whether, whatever our own chains might be, stand firm, live with integrity, live with the conviction that God has made you his, that came at a cost of someone who suffered for us. Anchor in that truth, in the message of the gospel. Suffer well, pointing people to the hope of what we have in Jesus. And when we do that, the gospel goes forward. It's made much of. Jesus is glorified. There's a Christian classic that I think everyone should read. And I'm always recommending books to you. And when I recommend books, it's because I want to encourage you to read them. So please, consider it. This book is called The Pilgrim's Progress. It's written in the late 1600s. So the English is a bit difficult. But John Bunyan, right? One of the Puritans, he, he wrote this in the late 1600s. Uh, it's the picture of the Christian life as a journey marked by trials and adversity. The character, the main character, his name is Christian very original. Christian is on a journey to the celestial city, so like the heavenly city. And, and through it, he's enduring suffering in its many forms and degrees. He makes mistakes and, and nearly ends up in disaster. His journey is marked by wrong turns and, and detours. His only friend on the journey with him sinks in the, in the sinking sand of despondence. And Christian himself falls into worldly temptation, much like many of us, the temptations we find in this world and at one point, he sinks into this depression and he considers 
ending his life. It's that hard. He grows weary, loses heart. He constantly tosses with the idea of giving up his quest, his journey, his walk to this promised heavenly city. And it's as he sinks into the deep water and feels the waves overwhelm him, it's in those moments his friend, Hopeful, assures him and says this. He says, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom, and it is good. Christian, he continues onward to that celestial city. He's empowered, he's encouraged, he has hope. Each adversity is there so that Christian might learn to be strong because beneath the deep water and the overwhelming wave of suffering that comes, the ground is sound. Each struggle with suffering in all its forms and degrees is there so that believers might mature and learn that beneath the raging waters, the ground is always good because God is always good. Sometimes our feet will fall. Our faith will falter. We need to know though when things do fall apart, when suffering comes along and the tidal waves of life make us feel like we're treading water, there is solid ground beneath us. The gospel is that solid ground. And that gospel, when we put our trust in it, when we can trust that God has got our back, when we still, in those moments, we can still seek integrity. We can seek holiness as a Christian, even the worst of situations. And the gospel will go forward. You see, that's what God's providence really is. His sovereign plan unfolding through people, through the church, through Christian. That's at the heart of our church too, at Providence. He's planned it all out for you and I. Whether we're cruising or whether we're hitting rock bottom, we can still hashtag God is always good. He gets all the worship. And that's the type of people he calls us to be. A people who trust that and live life under his providence. Let that solid ground be the foundation that you walk upon so that the gospel you trust in, the gospel that you love, will go forward no matter the circumstances. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We do thank you that you are a good and great God, a God that has loved us so much and you showed us that love at the cross of Jesus, that in his perfect and, and holy, his perfect holiness, he died for us so that we could have the righteousness that comes from him so that our sin could be removed so that we can stand before you and know that we're forgiven. And Lord, I pray because of that truth, because of the fact that he suffered before us, we can have a courage we can be empowered to live for you, even in our sufferings, even in our hardships. We can still have a deep-rooted joy, and we can anchor in that, even in the tears, even in the heartache. May that, that unshakable joy help us get through each and every day, Lord, because of the gospel, because you, because Jesus is good. He's always good. And so, Lord, help us to focus on that. Help us to be reminded of that. And help us, Lord, as the church, to remind each other of that truth as we walk on this journey towards that celestial city, as we walk on that journey to be with you one day, where in a, in a place where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, where we get to be in your presence, in your good, in your good and, and loving presence. We do pray, Lord, uh, for that, for your glory. In his name we pray. Amen.